Kelman on CliffCentral.com. It's a, a really interesting story, and uh, I have no doubt it's an interesting guy as well. Timo ODV wakes up one day and decides that he wants to be this music producer um, with not a lot of knowledge about music. I, I think a lot of people can perhaps relate to that, just waking up and feeling like they want to do something. The difference, though, Timo, is that you really went and then acted on it. Uh, take me back to that day when you decided you know, you just wanted to head down this musical road. Well, I think it just comes from... You know, I had left school and studied some stuff and eventually you just have to be real with yourself. Like, are you happy or not happy? And I, and I thought I'd rather take the risk and like try be happy, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because obviously one has specific ideas of what one's life is going to look like when you're a kid. Uh, yeah. And, and as you grow up, you figure out what it is that you're really passionate about. And then you've got to kind of decide, well, am I going to go the less traveled route or am I going to go the route that is, that is safe? And a lot of that's to do with following one's inner voice, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for you, I mean, what's been the most interesting part of, of your musical journey? Uh, I think the random uh, first single that just went very big was pretty cool. Yeah, but. You- I think there's like a lot behind the scenes that no one ever saw though. You know what I mean? Like all those sleepless nights, just like sometimes I guess even a little bit depressed because you're not sure if you're actually going to make it and you're risky. You feel like it's not going to pay off. Well, I mean, it's four years that you spent, uh, you know, learning how to play piano, how to play the guitar, how to play drums, the ukulele. Uh, I mean, it's a hell of a lot of time that you invested. What was sort of, you know, the, the immediate family and everyone else's take as you were investing all your energy into music without, at that point, uh, any sign of, of a major payoff? Well, initially, uh, like my, everyone that knows me knows I'm like a guy that does it like 100% or nothing, you know. So even when I was 17, I decided I wanted to speak like Portuguese. So I learned Portuguese and when I was younger, when I wanted to be a break dancer, that's what I did. So for the first like two years, everyone was like, okay, this guy, he's going to do it. And then like slowly you could see the, the like excitement sort of, if you could call it that, fizzling out into more of like a worry. Like this guy is 23, 24. He doesn't have a job. He didn't finish his degree. He, like, literally, you have no experience and you're, like, 24, 25. People start getting worried about you. Tell me about this um, this unlocking a passion and having an idea of what a passion is and then kind of watching it manifest and, and that journey. That's quite a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's try and uh, approach it together here. Uh, because obviously, you know that you're passionate about music. And in your mind, you have a vision of what a musical journey might be, what four years might look like. But when you actually pick up that guitar for the first time and start developing your relationship with it, all of a sudden, the perception and the reality uh, very clearly differentiate between one another. And and for you, how did that sort of roll out in the musical journey leading up to the breakthrough? I think I'm quite a practical person in that regard. Like, I understood that it would be hard. So I never set short-term goals for myself. Like, I rather set mid-term and long-term goals, and then I work every day towards those. So, for the, like, the first time that I started playing piano, I, I researched how long you'd have to play piano for until you got to, like, a decent level, you know? Hmm. And I, I read 10,000 would make you a master, but around 4,000 says you'd be like decent enough to play. And so I aim for that. So 
I sat with like a stopwatch every day and I played piano for about like eight hours a day. Wow. Like four to five times a week. So that gives you what, like 50 hours a week. So that's 200 hours a month. That's like a, about a thousand hours a year, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's what's fascinating to me is kind of the, the logic within the creative space that you kind of, you brave this creative space with a hell of a lot of logic to back you that it would take X amount of hours to become good at that instrument. Cause sometimes you find with creatives, there isn't sort of the discipline of, you know, figuring out the intricacies of an in- instrument. You kind of just go into it. But for you, it seems like there's a very logical side that also enables the creativity to, to be as strong as what it is. Yeah, for sure. Cause I also realized like I'm going to have to catch up with the guys that have been playing since they were like five or the music producers that started when they were like 12 or 13, you know, especially if you're 21 and you have a, and you're, and you have a time limit. Otherwise you have to journey into the real world to get a real job. You have to be quite disciplined, I guess. That's, that's the sacrifices you have to make though. Let's talk about this word goals for a second. I mean, this, it's become a bit of a cheesy word in this day and age and almost, uh, one that, you know, people are a little bit afraid to speak about what their goals are, even afraid to have that conversation around what their goals are. How does that word manifest in your life and what does it mean to you? I think my whole life revolves around goals. I think it's, it's a bit more than the hashtag life goals. You know huh. what I'm saying? <laughs> like, even now I have a set like time that I, like I wake up at about 7 a.m., then I work till about 12, then I go to gym, then I carry on working at about 3 to 8. So, like, my daily goal would be 10 hours of music just to make sure that, you know, I don't start stagnating and get worse. How important is it for you, though, to, to live your life and add that aspect to the creativity? I mean, from a lyrical perspective, obviously, you need experiences in order to articulate experiences that other people might uh, relate to in some way or another. So how does, how does that fit into the very sort of disciplined and regimented aspect of your personality? Well, I guess everywhere else outside the studio, uh, I write in my head, if I could put it that way, like whether I'm flying on a plane or whether I'm just driving around maybe to the shop and I see someone like begging for money, then mm. that's when, that's when I really try to just like picture myself in their shoes the whole time. That's how I started. Just, just by like looking at someone else and trying to like think how they like try to see the world through their eyes for a little while. It's almost like a little bit of acting. Yeah, it is a bit of acting, I guess. <laughs> and, and then, I mean, you know, with all of that in mind, you've got to also figure out what your identity as an artist is going to be and how it fits into all these other sort of, you know, people's shoes that you're trying to step into or trying to understand or trying to relate to. Uh, and, and that must be a very interesting journey in itself, uncovering and figuring out what Timo ODV as a brand is, uh, what your style is, what your flavor is, and, and how you reflect your DNA in, in all your creative projects. Yeah, for sure. I think myself, I'm like a very nostalgic person. So like writing from the point of view of other people matches my own. Since I'm always, I just love being in that like nostalgic mood. So whether it's, whether it's, I'm drawing from someone else or my own, I'm still using my own emotions. Yeah, nostalgia is a very interesting word. I mean, it's become kind of a, a buzzword in, in 2015, 2016, moving into, you know, 2016, 2017 and a couple of months from now, uh, <laughs> as, you know, the world progresses and continues yeah, yeah. to turn. 
there's they say that you like you form the basis of your personality in like the first seven years of your life, and so I guess that's why nostalgia would be something based on that premise, perhaps that uh, would be so true for so many different people because if that theory of you know forming the basis of who you are in the first seven years of your life is true, nostalgia would play a huge role in the rest of your life. How does that you know that word influence your music and your art and everything? Well, I think if you listen to my music, it's usually quite sad. I just, I just like sad music, so <laughs> that that goes really well with nostalgia. And and like, no matter how good the time is now, there'll be like some moments you wish you could go back and fix. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that you should live in the past, but like from a writer's point of view, if you can draw the emotion from something you felt and put it to a new story, that's when people can actually feel it. But you know, like yeah. a lot of the time, a lot of the time, I'll just object write though. Huh. Like what I'm actually writing isn't my own story, but it might have my own emotion in there. But this is an interesting juxtaposition then, I guess, when you are playing in a club at like one in the morning and it's it's sad material, but people are like jamming out to it. And you must sort of sit there thinking like, what exactly? <laughs> As people are like, <laughs> they, they're in a party mood. You know that the song that you've written here is like from a very deep, emotional, sad <laughs> place. Like that must be weird to watch. It's weird, but it, but it's also it's cool. I think, especially in the club, people are, they might be partying, but <laughs> deep inside they're sad. <laughs> <laughs> bro, Timo, are you on a ledge right now? It sounds like you're about to jump off a boulder here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying, though. Like, how many times have you been to a club and like by the time like one a.m. or so like comes, like you're out there to party, but then maybe you didn't like you saw the girl that you liked and now she's with some other guy in the club and now you're like, you're trying to party, but you are a little bit sad because something always goes wrong in the club. <laughs> do you, do you enjoy being sad sometimes? Are you able to look at the emotion as you're feeling the emotion and kind of take some inspiration from it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's an interesting one. I, I mean, I, I often don't know when it comes to artists, specifically musicians, if like, if you can be good, if you have not been through like just a hell of a lot of shit in your own life. Yeah, I guess you. sometimes it, de- it depends how good of an actor you are, or how good of a storyteller you are. But like I know for for a fact that, you know, I have like a lot to draw from. So most of the time when it's a sad emotion, it was probably from me like digging it up somewhere, you know, whether it was, I don't know, some girl that broke your heart or like, maybe family that wasn't there when you grew up or you and, and like the emotion might come from something totally different but sad is still sad no matter what the story is do you know what the word happy means in this context <clears throat> what do you mean do you kind of have you know a lot of people ask you are you happy do you know what happiness is i've never been able to answer that question are you happy cuz I can't quantifiably tell you what that feeling is in words. And also, like, you know, as one progresses through life, you can have a day and then realize that, you know, now you know what happiness is in retrospect. You didn't think it was, you knew what it was sort of five years ago when you thought you knew what it was. But do you kind of recognize what that emotion is with all this sort of sadness forming such a big narrative of your story? Yeah, it it might sound strange, but like making, like the sad music makes me very happy. Hmm. It's, I think happy is very, uh, uh, let me think of the word. Happy is very temperamental. 
I'd say like more like joy inside. Like if you're happy deep inside, like your heart, you're more joyful. Yeah. So you can still be joyful, but sad. Like, you know, you might be sad at the moment, but you know, something is going to like, it's going to be over soon and you know, you're going to be happy again. Whereas if you, if you're just sad all the time, that's, I think that's a bit of a problem. Timo, what, what feedback do you get from exes? Uh, nothing really, except that they like re-added me on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure that they re-added you on Facebook. Uh, Um, but but in the context of your life and your story, like relationships, what's the point of relationships? I mean, we're really living in a day and age now where it is a case of sort of swipe left or swipe right. It's very face value. There's stalking people on social media. This generic romantic idea of guy walks into a coffee shop, sees a girl, and it's like a romantic comedy. It's starting to fizzle faster and faster in a digital era. Uh, and you sort of digest all of that how? Well, I have a girlfriend now, and she's been around for a while. So in, in terms of like my personal life, it's very chilled since, you know, it's always cool if you find someone that you really love before you get famous. Especially if you're a broke 25-year-old and they're still sticking with you. <laughs> I guess it also makes the payoff uh, a hell of a lot you know, more enriching when you've got someone to share it with. That's also important, right? Yeah, that is. And it's also nice if you get to, like, I don't know, can't say payback, but spoil them back, I guess. If cool. someone treated you well and you couldn't treat them well, but now you get to. Uh, this, I mean, it wasn't overnight sort of fame that you achieved. You'd worked really, really hard for, for several years at putting in the work and, and the effort into the music. How much of uh, the payoff is in the journey and how much of it is, is in, you know, the notoriety and the success and then being in the magazines? Do you ever sort of sometimes sit back and miss when you were broke, Timo, kind of just, you know, playing on that piano for eight hours of the day with the stopwatch? Or are you just much happier to be in the space that you're in now? Um, I think it's trying to live a balance of that, of both. Mm. I think sometimes people will just get carried away and just forget the piano now, roll with the, the bitches. This is uncensored, so I can say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, especially in the music industry, I've noticed since, since I've never really cared about fame or like chicks or booze or getting high at all it's always just been about the music like for me it's literally been the pursuit of happiness when it came to music so the only reason i did it was because i realized that music was the only thing that was going to make me happy whereas i've seen like a lot of other people they they're just trying to chase the end goal instead of enjoying the journey so like getting back to your question i would say 95 percent of my happiness is in the journey as i still think that i'm still in the journey i don't think i've actually made it Maybe for like some South Africans, they think I made it, but until I reach, how could you say, the American standard of like achievement where I'm on a billboard traveling the world every weekend, that for me is making it. So I do get all of the joy still just being in the journey right now. That's why I'm still working just as hard. What what do you think people can learn from you, Timo? Uh, Don't let your ego explode your head. (laughs) <laughs> but you've done such a good job of keeping it in check. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you had a couple of months where you became a bit of a dick, I, but it doesn't sound <laughs> like it. I don't know. Am I wrong? No. I, people have told me I kept it in check pretty well. I think it's because, like I said, 
I didn't care about the fame, and I still don't. Like, for me, it's cool that people know who I am now, but knowing who I am is only cool for me because you you basically telling me that you know my music, which is what I care about. Where, where's this going, bro? Where do you think that... Uh, what's the next step? What does the year look like? Well, this year, I'm busy making an album, so that's the next step. And I think it's just... Every single day, just trying to work harder, man. Just trying to get to that that big goal. I think my big goal is set for, I told myself, 2017, 2018. Maybe have like a UK top 40, you know what I mean? Get on the mm. level of those like Ed Sheeran, Sam Smith type of people. And that's going to take a lot of hard work, in my opinion. And it's going to be an interesting journey. Well, you certainly have the talent to do it. I got to go to uh, two questions that we have for you from uh, Lockenville, who are also on our list of influential millennials to watch in 2016. Uh, I don't know if it's Brian or Andrew or which one, uh, but one of them wants to know, do you believe in aliens, Timo? I don't, unless it's like a foreigner in South Africa where there's a lot of those. Do, do you, uh, are, are you pretty like spiritual? Do you believe in extra, do you believe in like energy and karma and sort of all that stuff that isn't necessarily tangible? Yeah, yeah. I believe in God, man. And how does, how does that impact the music? Um, I don't totally know, but I think for me, God has always been like that, like a pillar of hope, I guess. If you have something to believe in, mm. if you have something to believe in and it seems like a hopeless situation. And even if like, you know, even if I am wrong and there was no God or something, like at least the thing that got me through it, like I believed in something to get me through it. Cause it doesn't really matter what you were believing in if you got through. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's a that's a cool way of kind of unpacking that. Uh, another question here from Lockenville. What do you think is the most important responsibility of the millennial generation? I think pushing forward and actually righting the wrongs of the past. Also just not to like stagnate with all the social media, especially technology. Now, if you like take a look, it's, it's pushing some people forward, but it's pull, pulling like most people back since they're just wasting their time, wasting their lives, staring at their phones. Yeah. It's an interesting one that I don't know how that all sort of looks in five years from now or 10 years from now, what the impact of it is going to be. How do you regulate your own use of your phone? Well, like. I started getting a bit too much and I had to keep myself in check. So like now I just switch off my mobile data, like from the time I wake up till maybe like three in the afternoon or so, just so that you can just focus on what you're actually supposed to be doing. Yeah. You've got to actually kind of discipline yourself. Yeah. Cause WhatsApp conversations, Facebook, nine gag you'll just sit on there for weeks (laughs) and i mean it's important and there's a time and a place for it but not if it's hindering you being you know the person that's written about on the internet uh if it's kind of hindering your own progress and your own growth and your own journey then you've really got to learn to regulate it yeah i just think i just think technology is quite a big time thief at times I like that. I like that. And you've got to kind of get the best out of it, which you seem to do a very good job of doing because a lot of your, your music is uh, very technologically sort of savvy and you use a lot of tech in production and so on and so forth. Yeah, for sure. But I guess I'm just talking more about 
the social media, watching out how much time you spend having pointless conversations that actually don't mean anything at the end of the day. Absolutely, dude. Well, listen, this has been a very cool conversation. Uh, I like the fact that it's kind of just been all over the show. Uh, there hasn't <laughs> been a direct narrative for it. We kind of just took a few tangents. But I guess that's what you get when you speak to somebody who is an artist. There isn't a linear process to it. It kind of takes its own little tangents, right? Yeah, pretty much, man. Just wherever it's going, you just go with it, man. I dig it. I dig just it. Just wing, wing it at life, man. Give me the give me the big pull out quote, Timo. Uh, the big uh, thing that we can use to say here was Timo ODV. He uh, he came to planet Earth. He saw. <laughs> he conquered. And this was his big saying. Ah, uh, don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Think about it for a sec. Uh, it can be a thought I, or an emotion, whatever. I think never surrender, man. I would just say never surrender. It's two very powerful words. Well, you certainly aren't surrendering. Uh, Timo ODV, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Kelman on cliffcentral.com.